With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. The lob to Collins! And the freshman with the big jam. Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast 2017 NBA Draft Special presented by Denver Stiffs. Allen throws it down! The dunk of the year! The dunk of the year in the league! Oh my goodness! So I think that that would be something that they should do to kind of just be really aggressive looking for a trade with that pick. Either moving up or moving back a couple. Isaac throws it up and gets it to go with the left. Right in front of a lot of those NBA scouts. I mean, folks, all of his talents are on display tonight. Look at this. This is 6'10", folks. Taking the contact. Look at the eyes and the body control and able to get it up on the glass in the air. If you're talking about improving the defense, then the answer starts and stops with OG. And an OB finishes. Oh, my <laughs> Here's your hosts, Ryan Blackburn and Daniel Lewis. Hello, Nuggets Nation, and welcome to this edition of the Pickaxe Podcast. I am a co-host of the Pickaxe Podcast, Ryan Blackburn, all the way from South Carolina, and I'm filling in for Zach Mikosh tonight. Uh, Guesting with me is another quality edition. I'll just say, I'll say quality edition to the Pickaxe Podcast. It is Daniel Lewis. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing all right. It was a, a nice warm day here in Denver. It got up to like 100 degrees. But uh, the best part of the day has definitely been all the stuff that's going on in the NBA. Yeah, and there's been a lot of stuff going on in the NBA tonight. Uh, throughout the day, but especially tonight, uh, we are going to briefly talk about what has been going on over the last 24 hours. And then we'll get to the bulk of the podcast, which was meant for draft coverage. And so... We're going to dive into five prospects that Dan, myself, Gordon Gross, Zach Mikosh, and others believe will be the most likely to be the player taken by the Nuggets at 13 or if they trade down. So we'll just jump right into the news. Uh, I'll start with the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers making an incredible trade today. Brooklyn is sending Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov. Dan, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, What was the first thing that you thought of when you saw this trade? Well, I had a bunch of different thoughts. Uh, One, I'm going to miss the Brooke Lopez-Jeremy Lin combo, the Brooklyn pick and roll. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We're going to miss out on that. Um, I'm also... I think it's a really good move 
for the Nets to take a gamble on a young point guard like D'Angelo Russell. Um, there's the point guard play in the NBA is really great right now, but I feel like in the last couple of drafts, there's really been, but there just hasn't been very many point guards that have been drafted that are, you know, capable of filling the void once these elite point guards start retiring. Um, you know, they took on a bunch of money for Timothy Mozgov, but the Nets are in a position where they they just don't have very much salary on their books and they can afford to take on a contract like Mozgov's, which I think is three years, $48 million. Um, but for the for the Lakers, you know, I think getting Brooke Lopez, he's a very good center. You know, he has limitations like almost every other player in the league does. But he's a very talented offensive center and clearing that cap space from getting rid of Moscow helps them open up their books, you know, to sign Paul George when he eventually is able to make it over there. Yeah. And also uh, they did pick up the 27th pick in the draft this year. And that's kind of an interesting spot for this draft class. How I would consider this draft class is basically the top 10 and to 12 players or so. And then you get to the 11 to 13 range, and you can go all the way down to pick number 40 or so. And I would say that any of those guys have a chance of becoming a quality starter. And it's probably at about equal footing throughout this draft. Would I be correct about that? Yeah, I think so. Like, they also have the 28th pick. So they're going to have, right now, as of recording this, the Lakers have the number two pick, the number 27 pick, and the number 28 pick. And I do want to say that as of now, which is Tuesday evening, the Lakers have those picks because <laughs> David Aldridge reported as well today that the Kings said no to a trade offer from the Lakers where the Lakers would send the Kings the number two pick, the Kings would send pick five and pick ten. So, you know, one thing I think that thinking about this trade is some, you know, you may have thought, wow, like the Lakers are really excited about drafting Lonzo Ball and having him be the point guard of their future for them. But on the same day, they're looking to trade from two down to five and ten. So I I just have a feeling that if they do stay at two, I I don't feel as confident as I used to be that the Lakers are going to take Lonzo Ball. Yeah, it really is interesting because giving up on D'Angelo Russell so early, you're really seemingly penciling yourself into drafting a Alonzo Ball, who, who I guess would be the consensus second best point guard in this class. And we, while we can consider this a point guard draft and uh, there being a lot of quality players in the top 10 that will be selected as point guards, it's going to be really interesting to see if they do make a trade like that. And it definitely doesn't give the fans and even like just players a lot of confidence that a guy like Lonzo Ball is going to be in town Uh, but it does open up a lot of trade possibilities for a player like Paul George and you referenced him maybe opting out of his contract and going to them in 2018 Uh, for for all accounts it looks like the Lakers are still involved in trade rumors at this point for a Paul George they may want to uh, purchase his rights early and get him in the building for a year and that could potentially help clear some cap out at the same time but it, it'll be really interesting to see what they do from this point forward i like the trade for brooklyn more than i do for the lakers but f- from both accounts you can definitely see the logic there 
I guess um, we'll move on for, to the Hornets. Well, I was say, for, for the Lakers, though, like you mentioned that they might trade for him to get him in the building earlier. Like The last time they did that with a superstar, they traded for Dwight Howard, and he left. <laughs> he signed that <laughs> yeah, in free agency absolutely. with the Rockets. So, you know, they may want to think twice before doing that. But that also serves yeah, as a transition, are... I think, into the next trade we wanted to talk about, which is the one between the Hornets and the Hawks. Well, yeah, we we will get into that, but and I guess that does say that there there is some danger there into purchasing the rights for a Paul George for a year and hoping that he stays there long term and loves to commit, and then uh, it, it bites you in the butt and you suddenly he loses interest because of the the fact that the team is awful. So. More on that later. I'm sure that we'll definitely talk about that. But let's get into this Hornets and Hawks trade, which broke about an hour before we started talking about this podcast. Charlotte is sending Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and the 41st pick to the Hawks for Dwight Howard and the 31st pick. Now, this is really interesting because the Hawks, they traded Kyle Korver at the deadline. Uh, actually, way before the deadline, but I think it was in January or so. And there were reports that they were exploring the possibility of moving Paul Millsap. The Nuggets got involved in for the, in that briefly, but ultimately Paul Millsap was taken off the trade market by the Hawks GM at the time. Now the Hawks then don't have a GM over the over this period, and now they are trying to figure out they got they brought in Travis Schlenk and he's since said that they are likely not going to sign Paul Millsap to the best contract that he would receive on the open market and now this Dwight Howard trade comes at an interesting time because you're seeing Kyle Korver leave Dwight Howard leave and it looks like this Hawks team is breaking up at the seams right now, and they're they're going to continue looking to rebuild. Is that correct? Do you do you get that same kind of read from this deal? I mean, they they gave up a better pick in Dwight Howard to to pick up Miles Plumlee and Marco Bellinelli. Maybe you know that maybe they look at that big contract that Paul Millsap could get as a it's too big of a risk for them that they may not have enough talent around him. Um. To, to be a contender they made the playoffs with Horford or not Horford sorry with Howard and with Paul Millsap but maybe they just took a, a good honest gut check look at their team and realized you know hey we just we kind of have to start over and so you know getting rid of Dwight Howard's contract which I think he had another couple years left as well you know that's oh, yeah. that's one way to to kind of hit the reset button um, and I think it's a good trade for Charlotte because I think Dwight Howard still he can still play. He's definitely not the player he was ten years ago, but you know he's still, he's not a bad center, and at least he gives them you know a, a a larger inside presence than someone like Cody Zeller or Miles Plumley or Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely seems to me like the Hornets are going to continue to go all in around Kemba Walker at this point. Uh, they are loading up in this draft, sending out some, some fodder and Plumlee and Bellinelli, and they're going to try and upgrade their rotation. 
with a guy like Dwight Howard. And so I think they're seeing the writing on the wall and they're trying to get back to the playoffs uh, before potentially losing out on a guy like Kemba. I wonder uh, I wonder now too it, if the if the Hornets are interested in trading I think they what they what do they have? Number eleven? Number twelve? I think they have, the oh, 11th they have pick. eleven. Yeah. Maybe they're yep. interested in trading the eleventh pick for a veteran contributor. Gee, I wonder if we could find one of those on the Denver Nuggets. Will Barton. <laughs> Wilson Chandler. I mean, I totally yeah. I can totally see either of those guys being a, th- a well-thought-of option for a team like Charlotte that's looking for a short-term fix when they probably should be being a little bit more financially sound with their cap space at this point. But more on that later. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have some more analysis going into it. Uh more news that came out today was Jimmy Butler's uh, reported talks reported of Jimmy Butler. I will rephrase through a David Aldridge tweet saying that Jimmy Butler had more interest playing in Chicago than he did in a Cleveland Cavaliers uniform. Uh, he didn't want to be in Cleveland. And to be honest, I'm not really surprised about it. When you talk about Jimmy Butler's skill set, He's going to want to be a guy with the ball. And lo and behold, the Cleveland Cavaliers have two incredible players with the ball in their hands in Kyrie Irving and, of course, LeBron James. Kevin Love would have obviously been the main target uh, in that trade. But we, as we've already seen, the third piece on LeBron James' super teams kind of is made out to be uh, the enemy in this case. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit bizarre uh, how that always plays out, especially with a guy like Jimmy Butler, who would be probably the best of any of those guys as a third piece that James has had on his super teams. Quickly, think- I'll just get your thoughts. Do you think that a Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, big three could beat the Warriors? No, I don't. Um, I, I think Jimmy Butler isn't a good fit with the personnel they have on their team right now. Um, I think Paul George would be a much better rental, but I do think it is pretty yeah. telling that Jimmy Butler, who plays for the Bulls, a team that's owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, who is notoriously just not a very great owner. He, his best years are behind him. He said no to going to the Cavaliers because I think the league is starting to realize that Dan Gilbert is kind of crazy and some players just may not want to play for him. So uh, hopefully Jimmy yeah, Butler it's definitely, it, turns his turns his eyes west <laughs> for a team to play for. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's it's getting to that point where we're kind of seeing the writing on the wall with this Cleveland Cavaliers team that if they can't come up with a quick fix then and a, like a, a good quick fix, not like a a one year of Paul George or a two years of an unhappy Jimmy Butler then LeBron James could go. Kyrie Irving could demand out. He could ask for a trade. Kevin Love probably doesn't like to be the cannon fodder of every casual fan in the NBA, even though he's clearly still in the top 40 or top 30 among NBA players. Like, these guys are on the brunt of 
bad decisions by Dan Gilbert as a as an owner, and that couldn't be more plainly seen than the we'll just call it a forced resignation and parting of ways of David Griffin, the GM. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how that situation develops. Do you think that a Jimmy Butler saying no to Cleveland affects the Nuggets in any way? Uh, no. I mean, it just means that Jimmy Butler doesn't want to go to Cleveland. Like, who, maybe he wants to keep playing in, in Chicago. Uh, I have no idea. I do know that he's a huge Broncos fan, though, and he's good friends with Demarius Thomas. That's his Denver. Game. Oh, yeah, we've seen... We've seen the uh, the pictures on Instagram and, and Twitter of Paul George and Jimmy Butler and Broncos jerseys, and it always gets you thinking about what could be, but can't really imagine that it turns out to be anything at all. But uh, we'll move on. Uh, one small piece of advice, uh, one small tidbit that came out from today was pa- Pau Gasol. Uh, he opted out of his contract today. And that was kind of that was definitely something that we didn't think would happen based off of Pau Gasol having a sixteen million dollar player player option, and he decided to opt out of it. And the word is that he's going to explore a long term deal, but on a shorter salary with the Spurs. And my question to you is: Does that mean that the that the Spurs are going to be on the market for these big teams, for these big free agent destinations. I mean, it definitely helps free up some cap space for them if they want to go and get Chris Paul. But that would be a really good team, you know, with Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul. And maybe they can flip LaMarcus Aldridge for someone like Kristaps Porzingis and just, you know, make a team that can (laughs) truly challenge the Warriors. That would be... That would be quite the team. Uh, yeah. A big three of Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, and Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, I, you would you would think that Porzingis is kind of one of the best combos for those two players because on one hand, he still can protect the rim, but on the other hand, he's a diverse offensive threat that could both score inside and outside. Uh, and he doesn't oh, yeah. need the ball in his hands all that often to be an effective offensive player. So... That, that would be really interesting. Uh, I don't think it happens, of course. Uh, we, we'd have to get into that with the LaMarcus Aldridge thing, and you'd have to take advantage of a crazy Phil Jackson to do it. But, I mean, Phil Jackson's done crazier things. You never know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that man is crazy. All right, so... That, that'll kind of wrap up the, the brief talk over the last 24 hours or so, and I'm sure that we'll cover it more on Denver Stiffs uh, at this point. Uh, now we're going to get into a quick dive into what I would consider and what most of the Denver Stiffs staff would consider the five most likely players that Denver drafts at 13, or even if they trade down. I'm not considering players like Jonathan Isaac or players like Josh Jackson, guys that would surely be a great fit if they traded up. Those guys are unlikely to be there at 13, of course. But for guys that are there at 13, uh, I'll list off the five players that I have. OG Ananobi, Zach Collins, 
Justin Jackson, Jordan Bell, and TJ Leaf. And this is based off of both positional need, uh, value at the top of the draft, and potential intel that the Nuggets have been putting out and that the public has been receiving. So I just want to start with OG Ananobi, who's kind of considered the the wild card of the draft at this point. Uh, He's a player who was considered to be a lottery prospect before he tore his ACL in January. Uh, He's a freak athlete measuring at 6'7", with a 7'2 wingspan, uh, built like a truck. Uh, He's a small forward, power forward combo who could potentially play some small ball five in the new NBA. And while he doesn't shoot all that well, he could potentially develop his stroke. He, he's been seen working his shooting stroke all throughout the draft process and getting that better while he's rehabbing. But before the injury, he was considered a top three, bar none, defensive prospect in this draft. And I have him as the best prospect defensively in this draft still. So I just want to get your thoughts on on that summation, Daniel. Uh, did I miss anything on him? Is there something that else that I should be talking about with him? No, I mean it's, he's just he's an incredible man defender. Um, his ability to just neutralize whichever player he's guarding when they have the ball is is really incredible. Um, I do think that there's a a little bit uh i mean i i think there's a little bit too much concern over his ability to shoot um he's shown in some of the games that i've watched he's shown that when he's able to get set and shoot he can have a pretty reliable stroke from three-point range um the real problem comes when you ask og to do anything on the move so if a defender closes out on him effectively he he's in trouble He's gonna have. It's gonna take a second to recognize what's happening, to recognize a teammate that's open, and to pass him the ball. He's most likely not going to dribble. He can't attack uh, closeouts on the dribble and then you know get to the rim. Um, it's just very limited if he has to start dribbling. But as a defender, I don't think that he has an equal in the draft. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. He he definitely graded out as the top defender for me, specifically because of his ability to neutralize the opponent. And when when we're talking about great defenders within a team concept and great defenders within a man a man concept and just neutralizing the guy in front of them, uh, you're talking about kind of the difference between a Jonathan Isaac and an OG Ananobi. And there are different needs for both of those guys, but right now the Nuggets do not have anybody, anybody (laughs) (laughs) who can neutralize the person in front of them. So that to me speaks volumes. And it's, it's a reason why I think that he would be a great player for the Nuggets to target because of his ability to not just defend threes and fours, but to also have the capability of switching onto point guards, shooting guards, and even centers, and be an above-average defender on those players. It's going to be interesting to see whether the Nuggets decide to target him. 
I think, as you said, his ability on offense will be questionable. His ability after the catch is always going to be a question. I definitely think that that's something that he will be working on. Uh, And it doesn't have to be much. It just has to be, hey, if you're not open and somebody's closed out on you, work on the one dribble pull-up, work on the two dribble pull-up, and work on getting all the way to the rim in both directions. He doesn't have to... He doesn't have to do it that much, but it just has to be a threat. It, it has to be something that he can fall back on when teams are closing out on him really hard because his shot is not great enough that he can just take the shot over a whole bunch of defenders and think that it's okay. So we'll have to see how it goes. I think that he's the best defensive player in this class, and that alone should get him drafted in the top 15 of this draft. For the Nuggets to potentially get him at 13, I think that that would be a great, great option for them. I also want to say, too, with him, you know, he has the kind of uh, offensive game where defenders could really sag off him, but that's a that's a huge mistake if teams do that when they're playing when the Nuggets have Nikola Jokic on the floor because he has such great ability to pass and such great vision that if, if you're defending someone and you're 10, 12 feet away from them, you're just giving them a head start and you're not going to be able to catch up and Jokic can just thread a pass or throw a lob and Anunobi definitely has the athleticism to just blow past someone that isn't paying attention to him. You know, get to the rim, elevate, you know, way up and, you know, throw down dunks. So... I think that absolutely you know you you have to add that caveat with a lot of defensive players in that we can talk about in the draft that you know okay maybe they may not be the you know a great offensive their, their offensive game is lacking but if they can develop the awareness just you know in the brief time before the season starts that hey when your defender looks away from you you cut hard you know and like tell you you know the other teammates can say like look people are going to forget about OG and you know, when, when they start drifting away, if you're doing action away and, you know, OG's on the other side of the court, like, you know, just expect him to be open for entry passes. And Jokic, you know, he's a wizard with those kind of at passes. He can find people. Absolutely. I think a guy like OG definitely projects as a, as a heavy cutter and a plus cutter in the NBA, specifically because he's going to receive less attention on a jump shot. There are ways when he sees a player that turns their head, once he recognizes that at the NBA level, he's going to be a fearsome, fearsome backdoor cutter and even vertical cutter in in the Jokic offense. Uh, The other thing is that we've seen him be a a huge threat on the offensive boards, Uh, put back duck dunks and when guys are sagging off like that and giving him a bunch of space in the corner, if he sees a shot go up, he, like you said, would have a running start. And he's still going to potentially earn back a lot of those points off of putbacks and, and offensive rebounds that he wouldn't necessarily get as a jump shooter or just a more versatile offensive threat. And I don't think the Nuggets need a versatile offensive threat. They just need a guy who does two or three things. And that's yeah. it. And another thing that I think he could be successful at is if the defender's going to sag off him that makes him a great option to be a screener and the nuggets have guys like gary right. harris and jamal murray um Juancho hernan gomez who 
have the mobility to to run around the court, you know, find run their guy into a screen, and if the defense is going to, you know, suck onto the shooter there because they're not looking at that like pop threat for Anunobi, like that can open up some wide open court space for him to cut to the rim. So, I think that he does have some advantages to offer because you know he's he's built like a refrigerator. He's going to be a great screener if he you know learns how to position himself and develops that chemistry. So those are some ways I think that even though he he does have some some pretty noticeable offensive flaws, I think with the Nuggets system, uh, they aren't as big of red flags. Absolutely. So quick, if you knew that Ananobi would not be healthy until after the All-Star break, but he would give you 25 uh, rotation games of minutes what grade would you give the nuggets for their draft pick of ananobi at 13 an a i mean we we didn't know how many games nikola jokic was going to play and he came over and played a couple games at the end of his first season it looked amazing i mean if you're if you're going to draft if your goal is to try to find the best players to fit next to nikola jokic um i think i think that he's the clear favorite Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I think that the injury thing is a non-factor, uh, especially based on the fact that he likely wouldn't play heavy rotation minutes anyway, uh, at least at the beginning. All right, so we'll move on to another guy that I am very high on. Uh, I know that that's well publicized at the Denver Stiffs community and on Twitter, and that guy is Zach Collins. He is the power forward slash center out of Gonzaga. He is the first freshman, I believe, to declare for the draft as a one-and-done out of Gonzaga. Uh, And he is an incredibly, incredibly talented big man. A guy who I definitely think that could have a a huge impact as a rim protector, versatile offensive threat, and inside-outside scorer for a Nuggets team that would complement Jokic reasonably well as both a power forward and potentially as his backup center. So my question to you is, is Zach Collins likely to be there at 13 based off of the players that are and the teams that are above him? Yes, I think he will be there at 13. See, I'm kind of surprised by that. I definitely think that if the Sacramento Kings don't, uh, they don't do that trade for the second overall pick that uses up their fifth and their tenth overall pick. I see that as a, a great landing spot for him, as somebody who could kind of complete a a three headed monster between the four and the five spots of Scalabissier, Zach Collins, and Willie Colley Stein. All three of those guys would be super athletic and. I definitely see that as a landing spot for him. And, and there are others, too. You don't I think Papa think Jonas cross... is a player for the Kings? Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I I definitely think that Charlotte crossed themselves off of the uh, Collins list when they uh, made a deal for Dwight Howard today, mm-hmm. uh, simply because they have Cody Zeller. They have other options in addition to Dwight Howard and Cody Zeller, uh, Frank Kaminsky, chief among them. So I definitely think that they're not going to target him. 
But Detroit at 12 is another team that I could see targeting him. Uh, they just lost Aaron Baines uh, there. He declined his player option, and he's going to be a free agent. They're going to go with Boban, but I could see them drafting Collins. But on the off chance, and I maybe it's not even as much of an off chance as I think it is, but on the off chance that Zach Collins is there at 13, what are some of his skills that you think would pair best with Jokic? And what are some of his weaknesses that you think that would work against playing with Jokic? Um, well, I mean, one thing I, I try to do in life is I, I try not to talk about someone's partner, you know, like their boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to be really nice with you on, on the other end of the line. But for Collins, okay. I just... I feel like he's a power forward in the same sense that Tim Duncan was a power forward in that Tim Duncan is not a power forward. Tim Duncan was basically <laughs> a center for most of his career that played at power forward because the Spurs could afford to play these lumbering big men because that was the era of Shaq um, throughout most of Tim Duncan's career. So I don't I don't think that Zach Collins is going to be able to play the power forward position very very much in the NBA, I think. I, he is very mobile, um, and he does have, you know, some. He does have some range, but I just think that he he's going to be optimized if he's playing at the center position with his mobility, his rim protection, rebounding, um, passing, and things. I I think the best way for him is just to be a center, full time, um, in regular size lineups with a power forward next to him. Or in a small ball lineup because I think he does have the speed to play a small ball five, but just be a big in a small ball lineup. Like you know, the Warriors. Yeah, kind of, kind of like to, a. You don't have to play small players in a small ball lineup. You just have to play skilled players in a smaller ball in a small ball lineup. So I think that he could. Be I, I would agree. Small ball five there. I would probably agree with that. I definitely think that the optimal way to use him is as the center in a normal offense. I don't think that the Nuggets are running a normal offense at this point. So it's to me, it's it's a question of whether you think that he's going to impact Jokic's spacing on the floor. I tend to think no, that a guy like that is still going to be able to hit mid-range jumpers and potentially extend his range out to three. And he can also post up and cut in in ways that a guy like Kenneth Fareed does or a guy like Danilo Gallinari does off-ball. Uh, it will be interesting to see that fit. And it also brings to question the, the best player available versus the best need question that a team like the Nuggets has. Because... I have Zach Collins definitely as the best player available at that posi- at that time uh, over OG Ananobi and over anybody else that we're going to talk about today. Uh, so based on that, if, if a guy like Zach Collins and OG Ananobi were there on the board at the same time, you would probably be more comfortable drafting OG Ananobi. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely would take Ananobi over Collins. As a as a best player available or as a more fit thing? Yeah, best player available as well. I'm I feel Ooh, about Ananobi the way that you feel about Collins. So <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I mean, well hey, I can't I can't hate about that. 
That's pretty interesting to me. I I would personally, I think that Zach Collins has an outside chance of being one of these unicorn bigs that we're talking about right now. Uh, if his shot translates the way that I think it can, and if he continues to block shots the way that I think he can, he already rebounds the basketball extremely well. Uh, I, I think that I, he could potentially be one of these unicorn bigs. Yeah, I just look at him and I, I see a Gonzaga version of Miles Turner. Um, just so, and I, I honestly like I, I like I really like Miles Turner as a player, but like I, I just would not want to see Miles Turner and Nikola Jokic play together. Like I, I just don't think it'd be a good fit. Okay. Well, that, that's totally fair. I definitely think that there's an argument for that. Uh, so if Zach Collins was drafted by the Nuggets, uh, let's just say OG Ananobi was on the board, what would you give their grade? If and if Ananobi was on the board and they took Collins? Yes. Oh, man. I'd probably be a Mavericks fan. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> Great. The great idea right. is opt out, drop out of school. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I guess, and that's that's what happens when you get such radically different views in the draft evaluation process. I I definitely think that a guy like OG is considered the future of the NBA, but in the right system, I definitely think that Zach Collins would flourish. So, I guess we'll move on. The next player that I have in this set of five players is Justin Jackson of North Carolina. Now, Justin Jackson is a junior. He went through his first three years in North Carolina, and during the first two, he really struggled to find his shot. He really struggled to find his role on the team. And in his junior year, he really started turning it up a notch, and he found his three-point shooting stroke I know he he attempted a very high number of three-point shots, especially in comparison to players like Malik Monk and Lowry Markkinen. Uh, Justin Jackson would be what we consider a gunner in today's NBA at the as a three-point shooter. Uh, he was reasonably efficient. He shot 37% on high attempts, and he projects as a pretty solid shooter in the NBA, depending on who you ask. So I guess I will start by asking you the question, do you think that Justin Jackson is going to be a plus three-point shooter? No, I don't think so. I I, I think that um, it, it kind of worries me that he just discovered his shot, um, you know, his junior year of college. The college season, even for a team like UNC that makes it to the national championship game, is just like such a limited sample size and when you look at his career as a whole he just you know he's kind of been a streaky shooter um i do have like three point shooting models that i run to pre- that can predict or attempt to predict a player's three point shooting in the nba and he does project to be like a 37% shooter but that again that's with his junior year numbers not with his overall career numbers which I'm sure would be much worse. Uh, yeah, it, it would probably bump him would... down into like 34, 33%, which a, a 33% yeah. shooter is, a three-point shooter is is fine if you're a power forward. 
but or like a really good defensive stopper at, at a small forward. But like Justin Jackson with his frame and um, with his height, I, he's kind of more like a, a tall shooting guard to me that could play some small forward. But if his primary position is small forward, he's going to get beat on rebounds and things like that, just out-muscled by some guys. And if he's shooting... If he's shooting thirty three percent at small forward or shooting guard, like you just can't you can't play him, you know, for certain parts of the game. He he's gonna be a career backup. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, especially on the defensive end. There were a lot of times where I would tune into UNC games and I would queue up the UNC film, especially against the top competition in the ACC, and I'd be looking for him to be matching up with these top uh draft prospects and being the veteran leader on that team and taking that assignment. And every time, without fail, that I would queue up a, a Duke game or a Florida State game or a, an NC State game, he would never be on the opposing team's best player. Uh, he was considerably hidden in the UNC scheme by Roy Williams, their head coach. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't think that that bodes well for him as a shoot as a defender at the next level because he didn't really show especially in his advanced metrics that he could be an off-ball defender so i think also when you're, Jackson, when you're talking like, about it i was gonna say uh with his frame and his speed he seems like the kind of guy that where he'd it'd be better to switch him onto like a point guard and really harass a point guard with his length and his his quickness but for the nuggets that means that you have to switch like Jameer Nelson or Jamal Murray or Emmanuel Moutier onto a small forward or put Gary Harris on the small forward and have one of those other guys guard the two guard. And I, I just think yeah, that's a really that's a really bad matchup for the Nuggets. That's a that's a recipe for disaster for sure, especially with the the strength of the small forwards that we have in the NBA right now. Like there are so many great creators of offense in the NBA at the small forward position. Yeah, like and if do, Justin Jackson do you do you want Justin to Jackson Jameer isn't going Nelson, to do you want to be switching Jameer Nelson onto someone like Harrison Barnes? Like that's that's a disaster. No, I mean and <laughs> and that's that's the low end of the totem pole that we're talking about. Like yeah. so if we're talking about the the small forward creators and with as many great players as we're talking through here, do we really want to be drafting a guy like Justin Jackson at that point who doesn't necessarily profile as one of those great defenders? I tend to think no, and I tend to think that his offense, while it may translate well, uh, what is he going to do better than what Danilo Gallinari is providing right now? Is there anything other than maybe his running off of screens that he does that he profiles to do better than a Danilo Gallinari type. Cause I don't really think, I don't really think that that makes sense for, for this, uh, for this Nuggets team. Danilo Gallinari is basically Justin Jackson plus. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with what they do there. Um, I guess we'll move on. Actually, no, I'll, I'll ask you if we, if the Nuggets drafted Justin Jackson at 13, or I guess maybe even they traded down for a Justin Jackson. What what grade would you give that draft pick? A D. It's a hot take. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not surprising, and I I would probably go C, because to me it feels like a very safe pick. Uh, 
as a as a junior in college who would probably be ready to contribute a little bit quicker than a guy like OG Ananobi, obviously. But uh, I definitely think that when you're when you talk about drafting the best prospect, Justin Jackson is not that. Just, there's there are people out there that are high on Justin Jackson. I am not one of them. I mean, it's just like if if the Nuggets took him, I I if I was able to go to the press conference, my first question would be, like, did Malik Beasley die? Like, like what happened to Malik Beasley? Like, <laughs> yeah, what can what can a... Justin Jackson do that Malik Beasley can't? I I would say be three inches taller, but that's that's the only thing, honestly. Yeah. All right, guys, I hope you are uh, enjoying our draft special for the Denver Stiffs. Ryan and Dan are doing a great job, but if they, they messed one thing up, it is that they never went to break on their podcast. Freaking amateur hour, let me tell you guys. Um, no, they're doing awesome. So tell you what, I'm going to interject here uh, and take us to a break, and then we will come back and we'll get right back into this pod with Ryan and Dan. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range, and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate, and he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. Stiffs here. I want to tell you about one of my favorite artists from right here in Denver, Colorado, and that's Porter Lorre. You're listening to his single, Escape My Skin, right now, and if you're liking what you're hearing, his album, Hell or High Water, is available on iTunes. Also, you can check out his website, porterlorre.format.com, that's P-O-R-T-E-R-L-O-R-I dot format dot com. Give them a listen. I broke out of every place that tried to keep me in, but I can't escape my can't escape my skin.
Alright guys, welcome back to the Denver Stiffs 2017 NBA Draft Special for the Pickaxe Podcast. My name is Zach Nikosh. I'm actually, this is the only time I'm on the podcast just getting us through the break here. Uh, Ryan Blackburn is our host today. He's joined, of course, by Daniel Lewis. These two guys are great draft experts. I can't say enough about how much work they do for us around the draft. And, and well, in general, uh, actually, these guys are, are two of the pillars um, of our of our site, so I want to get back into them here real quick. One thing I want to uh, I want to bring up quickly though. First, we are going to be doing all kinds of Facebook Live stuff during the draft. So if you guys want live reactions and analysis of not only whatever the Nuggets do, whether it's they pick, they make a trade, what what have you, um, but also just the draft in general. If you guys want that live analysis and reactions. Check out our Facebook page all during the draft. We're going to be doing a bunch of live shows to give you guys all that content. Also, make sure to, of course, as always, check out denverstiffs.com. We've got tons of draft profiles going right now. Uh, we are going to have all kinds of different stuff going up on draft day. We're trying to cover all these rumors. It's crazy how many of them are coming out. Um, we're, we're letting you guys know what's going on, though. And we're also trying to put our nugget spin on it, see how it affects maybe what the Nuggets might be thinking in the draft and free agents. Uh, so on. So without without any any further delay, let's get back to Ryan and Dan. They just finished up talking about Justin Jackson, going through uh, several prospects. We'll move on to their next guy now and uh, enjoy it. All right, so I guess we'll move on to a guy who I know that you're extremely fond with, uh, Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell of Oregon was a guy that you uh, – turned me on to in the in the early months of the draft season uh we we did an article back in the day i'd say probably january or february uh talking about the potential opportunity to draft a great defensive player and draft some of these low tier guys and Jordan Bell is a guy that you identified as somebody who we could draft in the second round. With the way that Jordan Bell seems to be rising, I think he's probably made his way into the at least the low end of the first round, and I don't think that he's going to last until definitely not picks 49 and 51, the, the ones that the Nuggets currently employed. What do you think there? Yeah, I definitely uh, was pretty early on Jordan Bell. And to be honest, the, the yeah, only reason I, I was mean, watching is... There's another player on the Oregon Ducks team that I like, man. Chris Boucher. Um, and when I was watching Oregon tape, I was just like, wow, this guy, Jordan Bell, is just, he's a stud too. And uh, I, I definitely think it'd be a, a reach to take him at 13. Um, but I'm also of the opinion that if if that's the guy that you think is the best fit, and if like OG Anunobi and Zach Collins are off the board, like just take your guy because once the draft is finished, like all those players, there it doesn't matter what draft position they were taken in. You're expected to be a contributor and to do the best that you can. And you know you're not going to go into training camp like, oh, you're the 13th pick. You know you have to do such and such. Like no, just put on your shoes and go out and play. What do you think about Jordan Bell? Uh, I am. I am definitely with you on being high on Jordan Bell. I think he's a very, very talented player. Uh, I think he's one of the best defenders in the draft right now. I don't necessarily think that his tools lend him to continuing to be 
a top tier defensive player in the NBA because I just think that some of those natural things uh, with regard to his his height and his length are going to end up limiting him. But I still think that he has a chance to be a potentially all defensive type player uh, if he ends up being uh, this this Dennis Rodman type crazy long and athletic defender at the next level uh as as it goes with zach collins i agree with you that i would draft zach collins before jordan bell but it's actually closer than you think i have jordan bell on as the 15th player on my final draft big board do you think that's too high nope i i think that's fair um he's especially if it's just a nuggets specific big board i think he has to be pretty high up on there yeah i i definitely see him as an incredible fit next to Jokic. very certainly intriguing he's not going to provide the spacing that some of these other options will but in terms of being a switchable defender uh it's going to be really interesting to see if the nuggets prioritize that in this draft because when you talk about defense, uh, the first guy that you have to mention is OG Ananobi. And I'd be remiss if the second or third guy that you have to mention is Jordan Bell in this class. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes on draft night. Uh, if the Nuggets drafted OG, or if they drafted Jordan Bell at 13, excuse me, what grade would you give them? Um, at 13, I think I'd give them a B. Um, we will talk about this later, but I, I don't think that's the ideal place to take Jordan Bell. But again, I mean, if, if he's the guy that they want and their, their other options are gone, uh, I have no problem with taking him. Cool. I, I definitely would agree with that sentiment. I think that he's a, he's a very talented player and the fit is definitely undeniable. I don't think the ceiling is incredibly high, but when we're talking about this draft class and if they're if the guys that the nuggets don't want are uh are still on the board then they they could reach for a guy like jordan bell and still be okay with it i i just when I, when i watch him play i'm just i mean we've we've been able to see an energy power forward that rebounds um and gets gets buckets inside the paint in kenneth freed like jordan bell is fairly similar to what kenneth freed brings but he's actually a underrated passer, and he like he has a like an idea of what to do on defense. Where Freed's been in the league for quite a while and still looks just really lost on the defensive. Totally end. agree with you, and I was just going to bring that up. That Bell is definitely an underrated passer. I think that he may be a touch overrated as a switch defender but a touch overrated for where he is right now, which is basically Draymond Green level, is still pretty good. So, Yeah, he'll, he'll get shook if he's on a guard for a little while. Um, he, he just lacks some of the mobility to keep up with a guard for a couple seconds. But if it's you know switching at the end of a shot clock, I, I'm not as concerned. Agreed. Agreed. So the last guy I guess we'll talk about is a guy that Denver Media and our own Adam Mares, uh and Jeff Morton surprisingly is uh is pretty high on is TJ Leaf. TJ Leaf is the other freshman from 
the University of California. Uh, he played next to Lonzo Ball, and it was pretty interesting to watch that team over the course of this year. I was more impressed by Leaf in the beginning of the year than I was about Ball. And over the course of the year, those two seemed to really change for me. Uh, I was I became more impressed with Ball than I was with Leaf and what he was doing at that point. Uh, what are your thoughts on TJ Leaf? I, I believe that you're a little bit lower on him than most people are. But what are your overall thoughts on him as a prospect? Um, I, I think there's just two different approaches to team building around Nikola Jokic. One is the things that we've talked about mostly with players like Zach Collins, Ochi Ananobi, and Jordan Bell, which is taking Jokic and then adding defenders who can also score off things like cuts or three-point shooting. Um, and then, especially in your front court, and then having dynamic guards that can score the ball. And then your second option is just saying, like, screw defense, we're just going to score so many points that you can't keep up with us. And I think if they take Leaf, um, I again, kind of like with Bell, I think it'd be a little bit of a reach to take him at 13. But you're basically signaling that your team approach now around Jokic is screw defense, we're just going to score buckets. And, and that's fine, you just have to make sure that like you have the best bucket getters possible. Leaf can space the floor. He's a good passer, a decent rebounder. He's a pretty good athlete, but I just, you know, if you're expecting him to defend NBA power forwards, especially as the league goes smaller, like you're going to be left wanting, I feel like. No, I definitely, I can definitely see it from that perspective. Leaf at this point is the question mark that I have listed for him is literally anything defense. And that <laughs> that is definitely not a great sign at this point in the game. Uh, to me, I think that his offensive capabilities are going to translate. Uh, it will be really interesting. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what he does without a great creator of like, and facilitator in Lonzo Ball uh, because what Ball did was he put players in the best place to succeed and Leaf definitely he certainly took advantage of that I don't think that that's all that he did I think that he still has a lot of skill like you say uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what he does from that perspective Uh he just he he looks like a vegan Ryan Anderson. You know, like, <laughs> really scared. Like, that's a so that's a that's, great. If that's what you want. Like that's. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does. So, if you had to grade the TJ Leaf uh, draft pick at thirteen, what would you say it would be? Um, I'll go with a C. Just because I, I don't really like the direction of going all offense around around Nikola Jokic, but I mean, I I would put trust in Tim Connolly, I guess, if that happens. You you kind of have to like it's it's really interesting to see what the team building process would be with an all offensive lineup. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I know that there are a lot of people that do agree with it. 
and that think that defense is just kind of an obsolete thing now, but you still have to have players that work the opposing offense and help them tire out in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what Golden State did to a team like Cleveland. If you don't have that in your back pocket as a great offensive team, then you're going to lose more games than you should. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. Uh, Now Mm -hmm. we're going to move on to potential opportunities to both trade up and trade down. And we won't spend too much time on this, but uh, last week on podcast, I talked with Zach and Gordon about what they believe would be the players that Denver would trade up for in this draft, because there were some, talks and rumblings from Tim Connolly and co that they were targeting a couple of guys. And the two guys that we came up with were Josh Jackson, Jonathan Isaac. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. And if you think that they would trade up for somebody else. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe if they were really high on Dennis Smith and they thought that Dennis Smith and Jamal Murray and Gary Harris could all play together. But I I don't see them trying to trade up for anybody else other than Jackson or Isaac. Yeah, to me that those are the the pinnacle at this point. You're talking about potential two way players that could get into guys on the defensive end, but also potentially fit in well with a guy like Jokic on the offensive end. Those are definitely the guys. Um. Uh, so when we talk about this, we're going to talk about the maximum price you would be willing to give up for one of those two guys. Now, let's say a guy like Josh Jackson or Jonathan Isaac falls to the sixth pick, and you are talking to Orlando. What would you start with your offer to a, a team like Orlando? And you know that Orlando needs a lot of talent back in return. What would you be willing to give up? So for Josh Jackson, uh, Josh Jackson, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I would be willing. I would see if the Magic would take Gary Harris, um, because I think that Jackson is best suited in the NBA as a shooting guard that can drop down to the small forward. Um, he played power forward at, at Kansas, but you're just going to be dealing with bigger people in the NBA, um, and just. I'd be willing to include Gary Harris because I think Jackson's ability to shoot off the dribble um, on like pull-ups and in the you know going towards the rim, and also his ability to pass just plays like really really well with with Nikola Jokic and the motion offense that the Nuggets run. You know I can imagine him if he's not open or coming not not open off a three, coming no not open coming off a screen for a three pointer. You know, he can get into the lane and kick the ball back out and just the ball will just be flying across the court with Jokic and him. And he's a great defender, so I think he'd be a really great fit. For Isaac, I would not want to give up Gary Harris. I'd, I would want to see if the Magic would take Wilson Chandler and Emmanuel Moutier in number 13. Yeah, I, I would definitely start it at that point. I'm not sure if that would ultimately get it done. I honestly think that you may need to include Jamal Murray in any deal to move up at this point, because if a guy like, Uh. if a guy like, but (laughs) hey, if a guy like Josh Jackson or Jonathan Isaac is on the board, I definitely considered both of those two players to be 
at a higher ceiling in terms of impact than a guy like Jamal Murray. Uh, do you think I'm wrong there? Um, I, I'm just really high on Jamal Murray. Okay. I, I think that he, you know, it's just a, well, because I'm, I'm going more towards the team dynamic, team building approach of uh, Nikola Jokic, two defenders at the four in the front court, and then two dynamic guards that can score the ball in the backcourt. And I, I think giving up a dynamic score like Jamal Murray would just be, again, just a different a different approach towards team building. Yeah, it would be, it would be hard. I think uh, I I do I am intrigued about the idea of playing Jackson at the two as opposed to the three. We hear a lot of talk about Jackson playing the small forward at the NBA level, uh, but I I do actually agree with you. I think that as a big two that can then move to the three, uh, if you have a another creator on offense in the backcourt come off the bench, uh, I definitely see that as an interesting idea. Uh, Jackson would probably get more competitive advantage from being at the two than he would at the three defensively because of both his mobility and his athletic tools. And he's not the most long player uh, in terms of wingspan at the three but at the two he could he could really pose an issue for players like that like i i think i think he'd be like a two where you could play him and then if you're going to bring in like will barton or malik beasley off the bench like i think that'd be a great combination for him to be at a three because then you know you got, you've got your point guard and then you've got a another secondary playmaker in josh jackson that small forward and you're, you're going to be trying to play more up-tempo anyways with your second unit. Right. And someone like Will Barton or Malik Beasley can just be like, okay, I'm just going to I'm just gonna try to get buckets. But Jackson can help set them up or you know, get to the ball on the move yeah. while also playing good defense against second units. And then with their starters, he would just move back up to the two and defend, you know, point guard, shooting guard, small forward. Yeah, and you, you, you let him loose on a guy like a like considering considering that the point guard position is more impactful in terms of offensive players at at the NBA level playing him at the shooting guard as opposed to the small forward would definitely allow for more cross matching between a guy like Josh Jackson and Jamal Murray in the backcourt similar in similar way that Steph Curry guards twos while Clay Clay Thompson guards ones most of the time uh, that would be really right. interesting. Like we, we talked about this with Justin Jackson, where Justin Jackson is probably best off guarding point guards. Like if you put Josh Jackson on the point guard and then Gary Harris, you know, on the other guard or like Malik Beasley or something like that, like you're just going to be able to create havoc. But if you're not able to get that matchup, if if Josh Jackson's playing the three, because then you have to put the point guard on the small forward. And that's that's a nightmare. Interesting. So I, I think that we can both agree that giving up a guy like Jamal Murray would be a really tough sell at this point. I, I think it would probably, from my own perspective, it would probably be worth it for both Jackson and Isaac, who I have as the second and third best players overall in this class. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I'm not sure where Murray would rank at this point. I'd probably rank him number six or number seven or number eight on my board uh 
but simply because I think you can find another player like Jamal Murray as a points a points guard, not necessarily a point guard where he passes and distributes the ball. I think especially with a guy like Jokic, that's more of a luxury at this point to find a guy that is a is a great creator. Uh, but it's not as it's not as hard to find a guy like a Jamal Murray who can score off the dribble and can be a great cutter, as we've seen with Gary Harris, who was drafted at 19. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. The other direction that we're looking to go is down at this point. Uh, now, now I'm going to add on to this a little bit. Uh, we just saw Atlanta trade away the 31st pick. Uh, we've seen teams like Orlando uh, be a considerable th- uh, target for a trade down. Are there any teams that you think Denver could trade down with uh, where the deal is actually legitimate and they pick up like one or two picks? Uh I'm not really sure I see a great trade partner out there anymore. I thought Atlanta was a really good trade partner. Uh, I'd have to really see the deal in order to really sign off on a trade down at this point. Um, I think maybe you could explore trading down with someone like Milwaukee, who's at 17 and I think like 48. Okay. Um, although, anyway, that's... That's not a great second round pick, but maybe if you could get like a future second round pick or something from them as well, you know, like 48 and then a 2019 or something. Um, I also think that trading with someone like, like the Hawks, rather than like, hey, like, we'll give you a future first round pick if you give us 19, you know, or, or 41, um, probably be 19 and 41 but getting someone like that then you could get another another player but ultimately I, I think the Nuggets should be trying to consolidate their their talent not trying to add a couple more rookies so if you're if you are moving down it's just one you know stopping 13 for something like 1941 and then you know if you get that extra second round pick or a higher second round pick you could pick up you know, like a, a sleeper in the second round that you were high on. Someone like, I know that one of your sleepers in the second round is Devin Robinson. You know, maybe getting that extra right. second round pick would allow you to pick him up. Right, yeah. It would be really interesting to see. There, there are various trade-down scenarios that, I mean, I'm not necessarily high on, as I said, but I definitely think that if it was the right deal, then it could be considered. Uh to that point, we can talk about some of these sleepers. Uh, as you said, one of my guys is Devin Robinson. I, I see him as one of the gems in this class based off of uh, based off of the tools that he's shown. Uh, he's really demonstrated that he could be a switchable defender at the NBA level. Uh, he already shoots 39% from three, or at least shot this year 39% from three. His free throw percentage is not terrible. It's it's actually indicative of him still continuing to be at least an average three-point shooter at the NBA level. And if he were to be that, then you, you're suddenly looking at a player that could be a really valuable rotation piece at the NBA level. 
that's one of my guys. Do you have a sleeper in mind? I know that you're high on Nigel Hayes. I am high on Nigel Hayes. Um, I feel like he was just really great as a role player when he was playing next to Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky. I think in the NBA he'd be asked to fill that role instead of the primary initiator on offense role that he was filling the last two years at Wisconsin. Um, Another player that I'm high on is Sterling Brown, a small forward, a 3-and-D prospect out of SMU. Um, It's just a, a long, you know, quick wing who can shoot the ball well from three and is a pretty good rebounder as well, which is uh, an oft-forgotten skill for a, a three and D players if they can rebound in small ball lineups. And then the last guy that I, I just really love in the second round is my main man out of Iowa State, Deontay Burton. <laughs> um, he's six foot five with a seven foot wingspan and he weighs 270 pounds. Um, he plays, he wears bright pink shoes when he plays. He's just got this awesome swagger. Um, you know, he's one of those players where you'll hear the color commentator saying, like, as he pulls up for a three in transition, like, no, no, no. And then the ball goes in and you're just thrilled <laughs> to see him make a three pointer. But uh, he can defend the rim some. He's a pretty good rebounder. He's left handed. Um, he just, he lives to dunk on people and. You know, it just it just makes me so happy to watch someone that fat like dunk on people. <laughs> I, you've you've um, seen the highlights. I just, I just really love this game. The highlights of Deontay Burton. If you haven't seen a guy like Deontay Burton, to all the viewers out there, go look up Deontay Burton highlights, and you will be absolutely intrigued by his skill set. There are lots of uh, AAU games and and off like non Iowa State games where it's just so incredible watching a guy like that fly through the air. So I, I'm with you I mean, on like, Deontay Burton. He yammed on Josh Jackson. Like He thoroughly embarrassed him when Iowa State played Kansas, and they upset him. And like A large part of that was because Deontay Burton had, had an amazing night and outplayed Josh Jackson. Oh, and yes, you are right. What year is he again? Burton? Yeah. He's a senior. Yeah, so that's that's where I start thinking twice about it. I mean, he certainly had enough time in the in NCAA ball to uh, to be able to win certain matchups. And while he he may win an individual matchup with a guy like Josh Jackson, uh, I wouldn't necessarily characterize that as translating to the NBA level for his specific kind of role player uh, feel that I'm sure that he would have at the NBA. Uh, which which kind of brings me to that next um, point. With no, you go ahead. I was gonna say just just one final thing on Burton. I, you know, he he was in college for four years and he was pretty inconsistent. He started off at Marquette and then transferred to Iowa State. But he's a he's a player that played four seasons in NCAA basketball and had four different head coaches. So he just had a really tumultuous college career and really through no fault of his own. You know, like having that many head coaches can kind of make for inconsistent play. And he is a little bit older, but uh, I, I still. Oh no, him. and I'm I'm not against drafting seniors. Don't get me wrong. The next guy on my list is a senior, uh, and that is Sindarius Thornwell out of South Carolina, where I am currently at. And I promise you that this isn't uh, this isn't bias on my end. 
from having watched the guy and been around the guy at my all my current school but Sandarius Thornwell is one of the most intense defenders and projectable defenders at the NBA level in the second round uh, and when you're talking about a team like Denver and their needs on the perimeter and guys that can just step up and guard the opposing player the guy across from him a guy like Sandarius Thornwell is definitely that he's a smart defender he uses his body well he has a 6'10 wingspan as a shooting guard small forward hybrid which is actually longer than Josh Jackson and uh his main knock is that he is not necessarily the most athletic guy and that is true he's really not the most athletic guy which is why he wasn't on the uh on the radar for many teams but he does have a story behind him that he uh when he was being recruited by the university of south carolina uh he went into a gym and he was approached by mike krzyzewski of duke and when he was talking to him he eventually said that he was going to commit to south carolina and coach k goes up to him and says you're going to be great because of the relationship that you've got with frank martin and that's going to toughen you up and it certainly has uh frank martin was an incredible influence on him and a guy that i could definitely see Cinderius Thornwell that is I could see him succeeding at the NBA level as a role player which is honestly exactly what you're looking for in the second round mm-hmm. do you do you have any thoughts on my man Cinderius Thornwell um I mean I I think that I think that he definitely has the tools to be a player in the NBA he's someone that I think makes a lot of sense for a team to take a gamble on the second round. Um, I just it just comes back to me that like how you know how many guards are the Nuggets going to have on their roster if they draft someone like Cinderius Thornwell because you know they they are they already had an impossible challenge trying to find minutes for Malik Beasley. Like I, I don't know how they're going to find minutes for Thornwell. Yeah, on top. Don't of, get me wrong. You know, all the other guards they have on their don't roster. Don't get me wrong. This is more of a a guy that they would take with the knowledge that they were trading other pieces, like a guy like Will Barton or a guy like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, well, just any of the guards that they have. Or if, if they're trading a guy like Wilson Chandler or they don't plan on bringing back a Danilo Gallinari, then you can add a Sundarius Thornwell as more of a fifth guard or a sixth guard and deploy him in certain matchups, almost like an Alonzo G type, but just... Mag- magnificently better uh. than him. Magnificently better. <laughs> that's not a good comparison. I, to don't make. <laughs> get me wrong, but that's that's the way I see him being deployed. Not necessarily with the same sort of failure that Alonzo G was deployed, but it'll be interesting to see what Cinderius Thornwell does because I think he's more skilled on the offensive end than he's given credit for, and. On the defensive end, I have him rated as the sixth best defender in this class. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Uh, One other guy that I would like to talk about from a second-round perspective is uh, Cameron Oliver, who currently on Draft Express is projected at 54th overall, and for the life of me, I do not know why. 
Can you tell me why he's projected 54th and not somewhere in the top 40? Uh, yeah, that seems low. Uh, maybe people are just concerned about kind of the role that he'll have. Because like, he, he had a pretty green light at Nevada. He was their best player. Yeah. But, I mean, he's a he's a bouncy forward. He's a, a little short. I mean, he's like, he's shorter than Jordan Bell, who'd be playing power forward as well. But he definitely has more range. And he offers similar shot blocking um but to to bell but again you know just against lesser competition so it's harder to know like truly how good of a shot blocker yeah he is. i i wouldn't that seems pretty low but i wouldn't if he was if he was available at 51 i wouldn't mind taking a gamble on him. of course and you're, you're talking about a guy i mean he's he's measured at a seven foot one and a quarter wingspan right now and he's only he's not even 21 yet like this this is a guy who's still very young he averaged 16 points and 8.7 rebounds as a sophomore in nevada and he wasn't bad like he uh he was reasonably efficient with what he did he was he was more efficient than a lot of the guys above him and to me that seems like hey hey you've got a a power forward who can stretch the floor and who can block shots how many times do you think that the Nuggets would pass on him if if you could say, hey, we have this chance of a guy who could block shots and stretch the floor? Like that, that to me is a skill set that they're certainly looking for in the Nikola Jokic era. And depending on how he develops, I could see him being a rotation player or even better because he's got the athleticism to really contribute on both ends. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that you draft and then just dump in the D League or uh, in the G League. Yeah, and uh, you know, be like, look, man, you got to develop off-ball defensive skills. You need to learn how to make the correct pass. Let's work on some of your ball handling and uh, see how you know see how all that works after a year or two. But you know, players like that, if they can put it together and and you know succeed in NBA level. They're valuable, but it's definitely worth that kind of an investment. Absolutely. So I think we'll we'll probably we won't wrap it up yet, but I, I want to do one more thing with you. I want to go through the thirteenth, the forty ninth, and the fifty first pick, and I want you to give me your ideal picks at each position, at each at each draft slot. Mm-hmm. So at, at so yeah. at thirteen. Uh, the Nuggets. I'll have the Nuggets taking OG and Anobi. At forty nine, I'll have them take Sterling Brown, and then at fifty one, Nigel Hayes. Interesting. I think I, I'm kind of swaying between Anobi and Collins at thirteen. Uh, that's so difficult because you're talking about. For me, I, I have Collins rated as better than OG, but I could totally see the allure of that fit. So, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess with OG, you're probably getting the best possible ceiling for a team like the Nuggets, because if he hits his ceiling versus Collins hitting his ceiling, then Collins' impact will definitely be felt less on a team like Denver. So, I guess with the 13th pick, I will draft OG Ananobi. With the 49th pick, I will select... Devin Robinson and with the 51st pick I will select uh, gotta go with the guard now of course um, yeah we'll go with Sindarius Thornwell there 
I think with all three of those guys, you're talking Ananobi, Robinson, and Thornwell. That's three really plus defenders and plus potential defenders in this draft. We've already drafted for offense with the Murray, Hernan Gomez, and Beasley uh, picks. And I think it's time for Ananobi, Robinson, and and Cinderius Thornwell and guys like that to be put into the Nuggets rotation. Sounds good to me. All right, well then, I guess that's going to wrap it up between myself and Mr. Daniel Lewis. Daniel, where can the people find you? At Minuteman Dan. On Great. Twitter. <laughs> and they can also find you can also find Dan's work on Denver Stiffs. He's one of our main draft producers, uh, one of the best and most knowledgeable guys that you'll find in Denver in terms of the draft. My, I myself am Ryan Blackburn at Ryan Blackburn Nine. You can follow my work at Denver Stiffs as well. Uh, Dan and I will continue to be putting out draft content. We'll we will put out follow-up content and free agency stuff and just keep it tuned to Denver Stiffs. We have some wonderful things that are going on over the next few days and into the summer. It's going to be a great, great offseason for the Nuggets and I totally feel it. So Dan, I'll, I'll be signing off and we'll talk soon, buddy. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Pickaxe Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.